Something New, a musical theater podcast where I, Joel B. New, invite an exceedingly talented friend over, we chat a bit, and then we learn and record a song from one of my latest projects, which we end up premiering right here for your listening pleasure. Today's guest artist is a singer, actor, host, cabaret, and teaching artist. A Bistro Award winner, he has performed in theaters all around the world, appeared on various TV shows and films, and has written his own cabarets. Most recently, he has harnessed all of his eclectic experience into teaching artistry, uh, where he gets to bring the gift of theater into classrooms all over New York City through such organizations as the New Victory Theater, Disney Theatricals, and more. He can currently be seen in his much-anticipated return to the cabaret arena with Officially Alive. Obviously, I am talking about Justin Daniel. Justin Daniel, thanks for being on my show. Well, thank you very much. That, that's great. I, I'm blushing. No, it's a good <laughs> bio. It's a good bio. You should be proud. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, today, we are in Michigan Rehearsal Studios, we which are. is uh, 46th and 6th or so. Right off 6th, yeah. Yeah, right off 6th. It's very, very nice here. I've, um, uh, the second episode of the podcast, uh, Jennifer Sanchez, was also recorded here. Awesome. So Developing a little history here. I will be here next week with the band no for my way. show uh, rehearsing. So yeah. Did you already have that arranged before? I, told I did. You? That was crazy. I was very excited. <laughs> when I was like, "Oh, that is that's great." That's terrific. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm yeah, doing really good. Spring. I'm happy. I know. New Yorkers are all smiling again. The tourists are here. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> Slowing us down. Exactly. That's great. Um, so I'm so excited to have you here. When this, by the time this airs, um, later that day, your cabaret will have started. I know that's I insane. Know. It's crazy timing. I've been I've been working on this show since th- this past summer. Yeah. So it's going to be at really the at the O'Neill. So it'll be very exciting to get it up and get an audience. I'm so excited. What um, one of the many things I adore about Justin Daniel is that he. Um, boys and girls, he makes goals, and then he meets them, and I'm just, <laughs> like, like, I'm really, like, I'm just so inspired, because we've, we've had talks, we've had meetings about Justin's Cabaret, and, um, happy to help in any way I can, and, um, and that was just a couple of months ago, and now it's happening. It is. And that just excites me to my core. Ah, um, yeah, nice. So congratulations. Thank you very much. This is huge. This is huge. <laughs> Uh, but before we dig into all of that, um, I want us to go way, way back. Maybe not, not too way back. But um, like, what's your story, Justin Daniel? Like, where are you from? Like, where? What's your, what's your, what's your deal? <sighs> where do I begin? Um, I am from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh-huh. I uh, was born in 1979. <laughs> Way back when. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Atlanta. I uh, did theater. Funny enough, I'm I, from a very sort of unconventional family. My mom was a puppeteer, so she had a puppet company. No called the Piccadilly Puppets Company in Atlanta. I saw that on your resume. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So crazy, crazy childhood with like 
foam rubber and felt all over the house. And my dad actually started that pump company uh, back in like 1965. So I, it was just a crazy, like unconventional, whimsical childhood that I had. Oh and gosh. so I grew up in this world of performing arts and puppeteers and acrobats and jugglers and all these clowns in our house. So it was a really, it was a really cool childhood. So I knew, I always knew I wanted to go into into the performing arts in some way. Um, and I went left uh, home, went to college like most people do, and um, but ended up moving to New York when I was 20. I was really, really young. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I was a baby. a baby. I was a baby. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and you've been here ever since. I have, I have. So in your in your bio, and your, your website covers this pretty extensively, um, that you are a teaching artist. I am. Now... I have a couple of friends like Jennifer, Jenny Stafford, who you Oh, know, of course. Yeah, who's lovely. She's amazing. I love her. Um, who also goes by that title. Um, so I, instead of like Googling what a teaching artist is, I thought I would just ask you, like, what does that encompass? Uh, you know, I, I'm still encompass? trying to come up with my elevator speech for yeah. what a teaching artist is, uh, because it's very hard to define, but essentially a teaching artist is... Somebody who is an active artist and, and could be a performing artist or visual artist, dancer, actor, anything. And they also use that uh, in, in service of education. So uh, in New York, we're so lucky that we have so many great organizations that have education departments. So like I work for the New Victory Theater. Uh -huh. They are this amazing theater for young audience um, uh, venue right in Times Square, and yeah. then they have a, a big roster of teaching artists, and we get to go into schools and teach workshops around the shows that they present. So it's amazing. So we get to go into schools that might not even have any performing arts in their school. Maybe they don't have any arts teachers at all. So we come in and kind of fill in, fill in maybe a gap. And it's a really exciting profession that I did not even know existed three years ago. Yeah. That's so cool. And so uh, with New Victory, are, are they still doing that Bob Marley show right now? Or did that... They finished that. I, they're doing a clown show called uh, Bellomania. Bellomania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we... it's crazy. And I just did uh, like workshops around clowning at an elementary school in Park Slope the other day. That's so great. it's amazingly awesome. It's a great. It's a great job. How much are you learning as you're being being a teaching artist? Absolutely, like you, you learn about different art forms that you might not have ever had exposure to, and then you can go out there and and you can bring your own artistry into it. So I I don't consider myself a clown, but I do consider myself an actor, and there's a lot of connections between Absolutely, the two things. Yeah. Um, so I'm learning every single day, uh, and for me, I found that teaching and performing kind of live in the same world for me. I, I get that same feeling from teaching that I do from performing on a stage. Mm. And I that surprised me. That actually really surprised me. And so yeah. I really feel like an artist every day when I get to go into these schools. So it's really, it's like, I pinch myself. I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to play. I mean, I'm essentially yeah. playing you, you know, you read articles, like, they're always slashing arts funding. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. until you go into a school that they, maybe they used to have a theater teacher, they used to have a music teacher, and then they don't anymore, it's it's shocking. I mean, I, I walked into a school the other day, and they had tons of band equipment. They had tubas and 
and trombones and everything you could possibly imagine and nobody to teach it so it's just sitting in a room by oh itself just collecting dust and it's yeah it's very sad um, but we're lucky in New York that we do have places like New Victory Theater and Disney and uh, these arts organizations that are very much committed to education so that we are I feel like we're filling a gap um, but certainly it, 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 it astounds me I go into school and they might be a mile away from Times Square, and some of the students have never stepped foot into the theater district. They've never seen a Broadway show. They've never even seen the outside of a Broadway theater. So we things that I took for granted, like, oh, I live in New York. I've got access to all these things. Not a lot of, a lot of people don't have access to it. Uh, so it's really cool to, like, bring that experience into a classroom. And then... For a lot of these uh, students, they will then get to come into Times Square and see maybe their first professional show, which is awesome. Exciting. You yeah. get to you you get to be that that bug that they get. Yeah, totally. Which is really Sometimes, exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you go to performing arts high school or anything like that? What I was did. Your, yeah. Oh my gosh, I went to a uh, cliche fame style performing arts magnet school. Uh-huh. I had a rotating roster of show t-shirts that I wore proudly um, so it was like Monday's Kiss of the Spider Woman Day and no. Tuesday is you were that kid red. I was, I was that makes but there were a lot happy. of those kids I yeah, mean yeah. I was certainly not the only one <laughs> so I always chose like the really obscure shows like I was really proud that I had Stephen Sondheim's Getting Away with Murder that lasted for seven performances show t-shirt. I was, like, really proud of no that. No way. Yeah. He keeps I that... That's in his bio to this day. Like, whenever you read a really? bill, he talks about his murder mystery. Like, it's... I mean... I was such a nerd that I would, like, write... I would write him letters, and after, like, my fourth letter to him, I finally got a letter back. I heard that he's very yeah. responsive. Like and he answered all my questions. All of my questions. My that nerd musical theater questions. Can you, do you remember one? Yeah, I was like, um, what did I ask? I asked him who his fa- I asked him who his favorite uh, his favorite female, of course, female. Who's his favorite female singer to work with? And he, of course, said Bernadette Peters. Um, the coolest thing, though, is that uh, a a friend of mine in high school very, very suddenly passed away. It was this really sudden. He got pneumonia and, and passed away. He was a really talented performer. And uh, so a few months after he died, the, uh, his parents wanted to cr- do like a scholarship program in his honor, so they were going to do a silent auction. So I wrote to Stephen Sondheim, sort of told him the story and said this, this kid was a really big fan of his and maybe he could send like a signed playbill. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, they received this box filled with treasure trove of Stephen Sondheim memorabilia signed like there was a Merrily We Roll Along score that he had signed like amazing oh stuff oh my gosh and he just sent it are you developing a fan base with, with, with your kids at all with like with students are people following you now on well every once in a while I'll get like a Google Plus invite from one of my students because apparently they don't do Facebook anymore <laughs> So they're the, I'm like Google Plus, oh, and uh, I don't even even if I wanted to say yes, I I don't know how I would on Google Plus. So um, they end up going on my website, and like I went into I went into class the other day, and one of my students was like, "I didn't know you could sing." 
I'm like, how did you know that? It's like, I went on your website. <laughs> oh, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of your website, there's a cool blog on there called Young Actor Source. Yes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, my idea is that I, I'd love to create a kind of a hub for young actors anywhere that they can get good advice, like quality quality advice, I, whether it's articles that I find are pertinent or some thoughts that I have. Um, and so it's still like very early in its, in its stages, but it's funny because like I'll post something and then I'll start getting messages from kids from like all over the country which mm-hmm. is really really cool yeah. so that makes me happy because I feel like there's there's a lot of bad advice for young actors a lot uh-huh. and so I would love to have a place where like they they can go where they can they can just get like sort of no BS advice about what if, if this is something that they want to go into especially if they don't live in New York at what point in your life did you start so I want to talk to you about Cabarets and one-person shows um, versus your just being a straight-up musical theater performer. Right. Um, at what point in your um, residency in New York did you did you stumble upon that that world? I the world was sort of introduced to me just based on hanging out with friends, and there were so many cabarets open at that point. It was like a really thriving art form, uh, not just like hanging out in piano bars, but there were really great shows you could see. And I remember the first show I saw was uh, a singer named Scott Coulter, and uh, who is now directing my show. I was going to say, I was now. like, that so it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's an amazing full circle moment. But I remember seeing his show and being blown away by not only his his vocal ability because he's an incredible vocalist, uh, but his storytelling and the fact that I was watching somebody just be a hundred percent authentic on stage and I remember like leaning forward in my seat and just being like I want I want to know more about this person and I was so impressed with with the the bravery it takes to just be yourself in front of a room full of some friends but a lot of strangers and so that was like my first time seeing a cabaret and in New York and so I knew it was something that I wanted to do but uh, at that point I kind of felt like I'm so young. I have nothing, I have nothing to say. What I really have nothing to say, which was not true. That's I just needed true, yeah. to. I just needed to sort of sit with it for a little while and, and come up with a concept. And so, um, in 2002, uh, I don't remember exactly like what it was, but I, I saw a book. Oh, this is exactly what it was. I I was at Barnes and Noble and I saw a book called Quarter Life Crisis. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> and it was the self help book for people in their early to mid 20s okay about that transition from college to uh adult you know be, like getting a job and all of those things and and it was sort of a cheeky title or whatever but i read this book and i'm like wait a minute i'm going through that i'm having a quarter life crisis and that was sort of the seed that was this show and once i had an idea for the show it was everything just kind of happened like oh now i now I could find music for this, and I had I had stories that I could tell, and I worked with an amazing director named Lisa Asher, who helped shape this into a show that I was really, really, really proud of. And so we did it all throughout 2002 and 2003, and that was just my that was my first venture into this world. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And is that what you won the Bistro Award for? It was, which was cr- I mean, it, it was it was one of those things where. <clears throat> I just 
did the show, I invited my friends, and then people came, and then I extended it, and more people came, and then we extended it again, and then, like, nobody came to one of the shows. There was, like, eight people, but then we did another one, and people came, and it was it was this, like, roller coaster ride of, um, of this show, but in the cabaret community, people... There's, it's really about word of mouth, and so people mm-hmm. were like, "Oh, this is a show you should see," and uh, and then it just kind of like built from there. So it was really, it was a really cool, very organic experience. Like I, I didn't know what was going to happen with it, and it mm-hmm. just sort of like kept on happening. It was really, really cool. So yeah, so then I ended up getting Backstage Bistro Award and a Mac nomination, which was awesome, and just I felt like a very wonderful welcome from the cabaret community. Uh, and I met some really yeah, I met, met a, a lot of amazing artists through that is it braver to be yourself on stage or is it braver to be a character for you for me and why um, well now that I've done it I feel more comfortable being myself on mm. stage so I don't know if it's necessarily more brave or not I think that's a some people probably would feel opposite like some people feel way more comfortable being a character and and that's that's why we have musical theater and that's why it's such a thriving art form uh but for me i've i've always felt just on stage if i can just be myself and communicate communicate a point of view to the audience and tell a story that's where i i I love that i feel I, i i feel just my authentic self on stage and singing, it's just a great feeling. So I don't know if I feel more, if it's more brave or not brave, but it's certainly um, where I feel most at home. And when you are doing your thing, are you are you 100% Justin Daniel or are you like Sasha Fierce? Do you like... Do you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Do you have, do you kind of put on this other Justin Daniel persona? No. And, no. and honestly, I think for Cabaret, it's such an, it, it's such an intimate medium. I mean, yeah. they're right there. There's no fourth wall. You are, you are communicating with, on a, on an individual basis with your audience. And so for me, unless there are cabaret performers, they have a persona, they create this character, but, but for me, if I'm doing anything other than exactly who I am, then I, I just don't, I don't feel like that would be authentic to, to me. Okay. Uh, so there will be no Sasha Fierce. Ah, uh, okay. We'll just, we'll just have to enjoy Justin Taylor, which, <laughs> which we all Justin do. Fierce. Justin Fierce. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, last season, I had Gay Marshall on as my mm. uh, season finale. And um, and she's a well-respected uh, solo artist and cabaret yes. person. Um, and one thing she she said that she called one person shows a lonely enterprise, or that they could be. Um, could you speak to that a little Ooh. bit? It, it it definitely can. Uh, first of all, there's so much responsibility on your shoulders. I mean, from getting people to come, so just getting people in the in the audience, uh, so all the promotion, hiring of the director, hiring of the music director, uh, you you are the, you're, it's solely responsible pretty much on you. Uh, and so that can feel quite lonely. If you're in a show, you've got this whole infrastructure around you, and, right. and you can just focus on performing and, and creating, creating an ensemble and making friends and all that. This yeah, is yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. All of that, I mean, I've made some great friends through Cabaret, but it's, ultimately, it's like, it's your deal. 
Um, so it certainly, it certainly can. And um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's such a wonderful community of people. So once once you you meet these people and you feel that support, to me, once you get all that work done and you're just performing, it it doesn't feel lonely. In fact, it feels so great because you're in this small room with these people who, even if they've never met you before, it's as if they're your best friends. Mm-hmm. And you're just talking to your best friends about something that you feel really like excited about or strong, strongly about. And so that part of it doesn't feel lonely. To me, it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the getting the word out and the creation of it and the writing of it. That's very much like a solo, can feel very solo. However, in this show, it's been so collaborative yeah. with... with uh, everybody with the director and then we have um, four musicians so it, it it feels very much like a collaboration cabaret song selection mm. versus role selection mm-hmm. in a musical theater performance cabaret can take many forms so there certainly are those shows where, where uh, a performer <clears throat> will come out and just sing songs that they love and there's nothing wrong with that yeah. I mean that and that, that you'll see a lot of that um, for me I want to sing songs that tell a very specific story. So I, I, I like it to be more narrative-driven, so I almost think yeah. of it as like a, a play or a musical in the sense that it's a musical, but it's, it's all coming from my personal experience. So for this show, I mean, I had a list of like 150 songs. I know you did. It was crazy. <laughs> I had like a Spotify list of everything you could possibly imagine. and um, But as the story was progressing... Uh, it was, we just, you have to make decisions on how, does this song help tell the story that I'm trying to tell? And, uh, and if you can't fit it, then you just have to sort of like let it, let it, um, don't throw it away, just like put it to the side because eventually maybe there will be a story that that song will fit. Right, right. Um, so I tend to think really, like I, I cast a very wide net for music. I mean, most of my songs I'm doing in this show are from like the pop rock canon. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited. Uh, you mentioned David Bowie, John Mayer, yeah. Stephen Sondheim, of course. Right, of course. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 really there's so many amazing songs out there. It's yeah. just it's like you're a what is it an archaeologist or you're, yeah or, or an anthropologist <laughs> you're digging for you're digging for these like, like songs these amazing unearthed songs for me. I've always tended to be drawn more towards um, rock and pop and, and jazz songs mm-hmm. uh, because it's for me it's easier to sort of unpack them and then maybe make like a very subtle change and then it can mean something totally different. Mm-hmm. It, musical theater songs often are so story driven. I mean, they are they're so connected. Story, yeah. Right, they're a story. They're connected to a very specific story. And so not... This isn't true for everything, but oftentimes I'll find a really great musical theater song. But if for me to maybe make try to make that fit, it would it would it be breaking apart the the intention of the song to the point that I don't think it's necessarily fair to that song. Um, so songs have feelings. Songs have feelings. I I do not want to hurt their feelings. Um, but for instance, like in my new show, uh, I'm doing a really. I think cool version hopefully of Something's Coming uh, which I think is very true to the song but it it takes on a very different meaning Mm -hmm. Um, 
So it's not. It just depends on the song. But I, I don't know. I've always like John Mayer. You mentioned when I moved to New York in two thousand, his uh, EP had just been released. It was like four songs uh, that came out, and I remember thinking, he's writing about my life. We're the exact same age. He's he's he grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I was like, this is he's writing about me. And so in my first show, I had three John Mayer songs in that show. Uh, and I'm doing one John Mayer song in this show. So I, what, there's something about like finding that songwriter that you feel like they're just like they're talking to mm-hmm. you. Let's talk about Officially Alive. All right. All right. So uh, this is playing April 21st and 28th at the Duplex. Yeah. And um, just to rip off your, uh, <laughs> your Facebook invite... Uh, Officially Alive chronicles the often bizarre road towards gay fatherhood. After getting married and deciding to pursue parenthood through surrogacy, Justin delves into countless awkward conversations, moments of joy, difficult choices, and the defining moments of life. And you got to explore this at the amazing O'Neill conference. Yes. Um, Talk to me about when and why you decided to apply, and then just how you got there and what your experience. So, I well, I always knew I wanted to do another cabaret, mm-hmm. um, but I never felt like I had a story, and and I I just wanted I wanted to know that I had something really unique for me to talk about, and even though, I, I, of course, there's ever in life there's always things, but I just I never felt that pull towards it, and um, and then when I I found out about the Eugene O'Neill cabaret conference and John McDaniel was taking over as the artistic director I was like okay wait a second yeah yeah and Donna McKechnie was gonna be there I'm like wait a second <laughs> I need to give I this some there. serious yeah. some serious thought yeah so I applied and I got in I was and and really really excited and when I went there I had like this seed of an idea like I knew we were talking about becoming father. We were actively talking about becoming fathers, my husband and I. And uh, and so that was very much sort of in my mind space. But I had no idea how, how or if I even wanted to create a show out of that. Because um, that's, a, that's a very personal sort of thing you're going through. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, I was really struggling with, like, would that be a story that people would want to hear in, like, a cabaret setting? And... Uh, so I used my time with the O'Neill to really sit with that for a while. And so all of the material that I uh, worked on at the conference was very much connected to this story. And my goal was just like, by the end of these two weeks, I want to know whether this is a worthwhile venture for me. And, uh, and it was. I mean, it, and, and a lot of that was based on the feedback I got from John and, and, and Donna and all the other amazing teachers there. And, and so when I left the O'Neill... I, amongst all the other amazing things it was, it solidified that this was the story that I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. So when I got back to New York, I, I was like, okay, now how do I, how do I tell that story? And, um, so I reached out to John and, uh, was like, John, who is the best director and who's the best music director out there that you would recommend for this show? And he wrote back, like, five minutes later, he said, Scott Coulter and Michael Holland. And I'm like, wait a minute. Scott was the first cabaret that I ever saw. And I met Michael doing my first cabaret and was just blown away by him. And so it was the serendipitous moment where 
it was just like, absolutely, this is, I'm on the right path. You're telling this story because it's true. Right. And, um, and it's an ever-evolving story, you know, because you're not at the end of it. Um, which would, which is a beginning, obviously, <laughs> but, um, but you're, you're living it right now. And so how has that been with like rewrites and with, um, as you're, you know, chiseling out your story and your song selections and then has anything ever come up that you're like, oh, well that's, I've learned something else now on this. Uh, I talked about it being similar to like a news review show where like all of a sudden something else happens and that affects everything. Absolutely. Has that happened to you? It has. I, this show, we started in September, and then and now we're in April. And, I mean, the show that we were beginning in September is very different than the show in April. And that would be true for anything. But yeah. for this particularly, um, it's been actually a really exciting process because it's, it's this evolving show. And so the idea is that we're, we're doing these two performances – uh, with the strong desire to do more, um, but we all know that when we do more, it's it's the show is going to take on a different. It, it'll be different because our story will be mm-hmm. more evolved. Yeah, and that's exciting to me. This sort of evolving show that um, <coughs> maybe some songs will stay and we'll add new songs, but new stories will come in. And I think we've structured it in a way that uh, it'll lend itself to that. Yeah, and so the show that you'll see on the twenty first and twenty eighth will be very different from perhaps a few months from now. And that's, so and that's very exciting. And I was I was concerned about just like my myself diving be like be going through such a crazy process as we're going through and then to also be like writing about it and and, and performing yeah. and all of that. But it's actually been this really cool experience for me that uh it's kind of trippy in some ways, but yeah. it's been a really good way for for me to take these experiences and then sort of share share them out. Um, and I I think that whether you're a parent or whether you're thinking about being a parent or I think I think this, the the there are so many commonalities in, in anybody going through this process that uh, I hope that 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 translates to the audience's experience with it. Have you thought about your like your kid could see this one day, right? You know, totally. and get to see you know you very nakedly processing this as it's happening yeah. on stage in front of people. I know, and it's all about them, and you haven't even met them yet. I know. And like that's that makes me so excited. Like, well, we I do. I'm doing the song. They could do a cabaret exactly about yes. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a, uh, the the Michael Bublé song. Haven't met you yet in this show. Oh my god, which is. So appropriate, I think, for this idea of like, this is what I'm going to do for you, but I haven't even met you yet, mm-hmm. and so it's almost a song to about this this uh, being that at this point just lives in our imaginations, but yet we've committed to this person, yeah. and uh, so it's yeah. So I, I'm actually really excited to chronicle this. I love this, I love <laughs> it so much. And um, so you started working on this in September, yeah. Or so yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm terrible at math, but could you have a couldn't you have a baby in between? Basically, that and now? as we're birthing, like you we're really birthing like you had nine months yes. to which I, yes. I I love that. We stuff. planned it that way. Did you know? <laughs> Just tell them you did. Just tell them you did. <laughs> and so you have Michael Holland as your music director, right? And how critical was he to helping you pick the songs and arrange the songs? Like how how much did he bring to the table? 
Michael Michael is an amazing arranger, yeah. like beyond. He's so good. Uh, he did all the arrangements for Godspell, the the uh, all the new orchestrations for the Godspell revival that, that they did at Circle mm-hmm. in the Square. So he can take a song, and then I'll have an idea, and he can be like, okay, and he knows the pop canon so well. Like, he's an expert of, like, pop music, rock music. So I'll give him an idea, and then he's like, wait, we could take this song, we could put them together, and then it's this whole new song. And um, he actually had the idea of doing this show without piano. Yeah, so he was like, let's do two guitars, bass, drums, and then I was like, you know, I love my favorite instruments in mandolin. He's like, great, so we'll we'll have one of the guitarists also play mandolin, and he created these incredible orchestrations and, and arrangements for this four-part ensemble that's all string-based with, with percussion. And so I'm super excited about it. And then that informed our music selection. In I'm sure ways. it did. Yeah. It really, once we made that decision, uh, it opened up all these possibilities, and uh, I think when you create like a restriction around yourself oftentimes that can open up new possibilities and so when we knew that we had no piano the show completely opened up to like new ideas which was cool the title officially alive oh yeah where does that come from so that comes from a song that i'm doing uh which is a brad paisley song called officially alive and i found it and i played it for michael and michael we both got like goosebumps listening to the song and then I had been struggling to come up with a name for the show and my husband really wanted it to be um, Daddy Issues <laughs> and I was like I love it I love it but I don't think that's just not the it show that I'm doing something yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but he was like really and then what was the other one uh, yeah but anyway so I found that and I'm like that actually I think is so appropriate for this show because there are so many moments in life where um you just, even bad moments, great moments, in between, where you're like, right now I'm feeling fully alive. And uh, and that's really what this show is about. It's like those moments in life that change your life, or where everything just kind of comes together. And, and I've had a few of those moments that have led us to this point of deciding to become fathers. And so it just kind of felt, it felt, it felt right. Officially alive, the duplex, the 21st and the 28th. 7 p.m. 7 p.m., so before we get to the song portion, yeah. um, I, I found a little quiz that I wanted to give you. Okay. okay. Um, this this has been a new this has been a new development in the something new genre. Got it. Um, where I've been. Is it one of those like which musical are you Buzzfeed quizzes? It is. Um, <laughs> it's from uh, this is from howstuffworks.com. How Stuff okay. Uh, it's called the Modern Dad, a 21st century fatherhood quiz. Oh jeez. Okay. Um, I have not fed this quiz, and so if you do poorly on it, then... Does that mean I'm going to be a terrible father? Yes, Okay. no pressure. Got it. it. Alright, very important question. Who invented Father's Day? Was it Alvin Austin, Julia Ward Howe, or Sonora Smart Dodd? Absolutely Sonora Smart Dodd. A hundred percent. Final answer. You got it right! (laughs) That was a total guess. (laughs) I just thought that was the weirdest, strangest sounding name. That was amazing. All right, we're going to do four more. Okay. All right. Okay. Which U.S. president made Father's Day a national holiday? Oh. Was it Coolidge, Truman, or Nixon? I'm going to go with Nixon. Huh? You're right again. Oh, 
Justin Daniel, you are you are rocking this fatherhood Woo. thing. Yeah. Your kid's gonna love you. Third question. Okay. In 2009, Charles J. Saylor became the first male president of what? Mothers Against Drunk Driving, National Parent Teacher Association, or La Leche League. And what's his name? Charles J. Saylor. PTA. You're right! Oh, oh my god! god. You're ruling this! Oh. You are ruling this! Man, man. I thought I was gonna stump you. Um, even though I never read this question. <laughs> question four. Okay. Question okay. four. You already won our prize. Which famous researcher referred to fatherhood as a biological necessity and social accident? And, and, and this was a what? A famous researcher. Famous researcher. And, and say the whole thing again. Yeah, yeah. Which famous researcher referred to fatherhood as a biological necessity and social accident? Was Interesting. It okay. Benjamin Spock, Margaret Mead, or Charles Darwin? <sighs> Can I phone a friend? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you it's definitely not the first one. Okay. Um, I... I'm going to go with Margaret Mead. Okay, here we go. You're right! Oh, oh, oh yeah. my god, you are rocking this! Oh. Wow. 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 You do not have daddy issues. <laughs> Alright, alright. Fifth and final question. Okay. For the win. What percentage of American children are raised in households without their biological fathers? Oh, okay. This is a sad question. Yeah. Uh, but very serious. Can you play it? I said again. What percentage of American children are raised in households without their biological fathers? Is it 12%, 23 percent, 39%? 39%. Final answer? No, I don't know the answer. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> Unlike NPR. I, I was, I was doing this. the Larry David. like. Right, right, right. Uh, yes, that's my final answer. You're right. I did it. You absolutely I won. Congratulations. I won. Congratulations. You I are won. you are the 21st century fatherhood. Yes. Father. Congratulations. You're the best father in the world. <laughs> Cuz you know all those I random do things. Those random things. Oh my god. Love it. I am so proud of you. Well, thank. I'm pr- I am proud of myself. You should be. And I'm proud good. that you're that you've got um, officially alive, happening at the duplex. It's and officially it's happening. Officially happening. <laughs> you're you're officially a teaching artist. Yes. You officially have a blog. I do. Um. You're you're officially gonna be a dad. I and I I, well, I'm, I hope. I feel like virus. Hey, it's my friend Ernie. Everybody, come on in. Hi Ernie. Hi. How's it going? Hi good. <laughs> We're wrapping up the podcast episode. Oh awesome! Hi everybody. <laughs> everybody, this is Ernie Pruneda, who's um actually this is really good timing because we're gonna set up the song. Oh, cool. <laughs> How's it going? Good. We just got here from 181st in 30 minutes, which is awesome. That it's is awesome. awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. So now comes the fun time where we introduce the song. Uh, Justin and Ernie, uh, spoiler alert, this is a male duet. Uh, it's a song called Excel at Failing, which is from my song cycle, Standalone. Uh, again, Justin, Ernie Pruneda, uh, and this is going to be performed at Broadway Sessions, hosted by Ben Cameron at the Lori Beachman this Thursday, the 17th. Uh, at 11 p.m., so take your power naps and get on down. 
to the Beachmen. Uh, I'm pretty sure it'll be Joshua Stephen Cardis at the piano again, who's just phenomenal. Um, Broadway sessions every Thursday night as the curtain falls on Broadway. Host Ben D and his crew of amazingly talented folks welcome a new Broadway star to perform in this fun and zany musical theater variety show. And I have it is so much fun. Uh, Dan Radzikowski and I were there a couple weeks ago for his episode. And it was just, it was a blast and a half. You know, it was it was late, but it was wonderful. I, awesome. I highly recommend it. If you're in the New York area and, um, and you like musical theater and you like drinks, then you should be there on Thursday night. Broadway Sessions, check it out. Uh, remember, if you like the song, so we'll be singing Excel at Failing live. Uh, very exciting. And if you like Excel at Failing, it's available for free download on my SoundCloud page. That is until the next episode. And if you'd like to request sheet music, you may write me at joelbnew at gmail.com for a free PDF. Be sure to follow me on all things social media, and you may find all those links and so much more on joelbnew.com. While you're there, feel free to click on either the Cafe Press or Donate links on the podcast page. Any and all contributions go toward production costs and are supremely appreciated. Uh, make sure you're visiting justindaniel.net and uh, broadwaysessions.net. And Ernie, do you have a website? No, I have a YouTube page with like a song and a half on it. Great. Ernie P at YouTube. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Tell your friends all about it. Uh, special thanks to Peyton Royal at Website Lines, Stephanie Layton at Red Scandal Graphics, and Broadway Sessions. And last but not least, Justin Daniel, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. I had so much fun. I've had a blast. I can't wait to see your show. Um, I'm sure it's amazing. You should all buy tickets right now. Yes. Absolutely. Do it. Uh, from Michigan Rehearsal Studios, this is Joel B. New. And Justin Daniel. And Ernie Prunetta. Saying thank you for dropping by for something new. I'd be
failing. My husband asks me not to be scared of failing. My mouth is dry, my heart is sore, and I'm failing. I've never wanted anything more. 